Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give us their messages of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to yoga trader, meditation teacher, and health and wellness executive, Maya McGinnis. Are you losing focus and feeling discouraged? You get to up your game and your life right now. Get ready for some real wellness tips and learn how to tap into your intuition do what's right for you and your body and finally put that white light of protection around you you're gonna love hearing today's chat with ex-investment banker turned accounting guru now trainer and wellness executive extraordinaire welcome to 52 weeks of hope maya mcginnis Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. And I've heard so much about you from a mutual friend that it's not often I meet somebody who grew up in Kauai, which <laughs> is like paradise, and yes. had these hippy-dippy, as how I've been told you call it, parents who, you know, your mom does yoga, your dad plays guitar, and all you wanted to do was escape, which is just proof that the grass <laughs> is always greener. Yep. And here you are, and you like applied to all East Coast colleges colleges, went to Duke sight unseen, mm -hmm. you're probably an accounting major or something because you became an investment banker. And yet here it is. Fast forward, you're a meditation teacher. You now teach yoga teachers and yep. you're this in the whole wellness industry. Such an interesting evolution. So what opened you up to yoga and wellness and meditation. You're very open about the fact that you and your mom are so close. Yeah, we really are. And you know, I think she was definitely like my initial entry point into a lot of these practices, but I was really resistant to it. You know, like you said, like I grew up in this kind of like hippie, dippy, open, lovely environment. There was nothing wrong with it at all. You know, it was had everything that I needed, but yet it didn't feel like enough. You know, I was always seeking more. I always wanted to live somewhere else, be somewhere where I felt like I had more opportunity. And my mom started practicing yoga when I was little and I would see her practice and it was at a time when yoga was not nearly what it is today, right? Not as like kind of generally acceptable. People didn't really know what it was. And I would watch her practice and just be so embarrassed by what she was doing. I was just like, oh my gosh, mom, like, why are you doing these weird things? Why are you my, my breathing funny? Like, what my are you doing? My daughter is embarrassed by everything I do. You know, she'll be 22 next month, but she's a senior college, but she's always was embarrassed by everything. Like, so yeah. I think it doesn't matter what we're doing. I remember yeah, my mom and it, doing yoga. <laughs> I like, it so. really was funny though. And, you know, my mom was really into transcendental meditation also. Yeah. So I had to start meditating when I was about 11. I did it literally kicking and screaming, like crying. I don't want to do this. Why are you making me sit still? Like, I just don't want to participate in this weird activity. My and daughter is never allowed to hear this. Both <laughs> my kids. My kids could never hear this. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. But really, it was the entry point. And, you know, like so many things, like sometimes you come across something in your life and you're not really ready for it. So it like takes a couple of years or maybe even like a lot of years to open yourself up to like the lessons that you have to learn. And I think that was definitely yoga and meditation for me. It's, you know, I got introduced when I was like a young teenager. And then it was really when I arrived in college and I had been a ballet dancer for most of my life. So I was like really accustomed to using my body and I love to move. But when I started dancing in college, it really like wasn't doing it for me anymore. I realized I wasn't going to be a professional dancer, which had been a dream of mine for a long, long time. And so as I kind of transitioned out of dance, I needed something else to fill that same kind of need to move and be connected to my body and kind of 
work with my mind in a different way. And so when I started getting more interested in yoga again in my early 20s, I think my mom thought it was maybe like a little bit of a temporary thing. Like, oh, she's finally, you know, seeing that maybe this is a cool thing to do. But there was never any pressure from her. It was, you know, I led the way 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then I realized like when I was in college, which was obviously it was kind of like a stressful environment. I was an economics major, you know, did a lot of work with my brain. And I needed that like peace of mind that I really found the more that I got into yoga. And as I started meditating more regularly, And then when I transitioned in my first job out of college, which was in investment banking in New York City, yoga and meditation, they were my survival tools. It was the only thing that I had that really kept me grounded. An econ major, (laughs) the dichotomy of like quiet and, you know, like it's such a dichotomy. Yeah, it absolutely was. It's so different. And I think I needed that a little bit, right? Like I am kind of that personality that was like, okay, I've seen the extreme on this one side. I really want the opposite. And then I had to go like all the way to the other side. Yeah, but it was a great experience. And I, you know, I told my parents when I was six years old that I was going to move to New York and live there. So, you know, there was a part of me that just was really determined and I did it. And then I was there for a while. You know, I worked in finance for a little bit around five years before I decided it wasn't for me. And that was a whole journey in its own right. So I think all these things show up for us for a reason. And we really have to work through them. Yeah. Well, that's long enough to know if it's for you or not. Yeah. You're just giving it a chance. Definitely. So how did you end up with this as a profession? My understanding is from people I've spoken to, you kind of saved yoga works. Yeah. You know, I mean, so congratulations on that. You know, during COVID (laughs) and everything, when everything went down, I mean, you're the one that put that, kept it digital and makes yoga available online for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, yoga impacted me has been such a big part of kind of, I think what I'm here to do is really in sharing the practice and not so much the physical practice because yoga is so much bigger than that. It's really just like, getting people to be more present and to understand that like in existing in the present, we're so much less likely to get caught up in things that we can't control. So it's like such an important thing for me to spread that. And I started working at YogaWorks right out of my investment banking job. Actually, I got a job there thinking that it was going to be my sabbatical from real life. I'm going to take this fun job. Yeah. Yeah. While you find yourself, that kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I have some time. I'm going to do this for a year or so. I was applying to grad school at the time. And then I never went to grad school. You know, I stayed at Yoga Works and moved up the ladder and ultimately moved out to Los Angeles with them. But I actually was teaching at that time. I started teaching. I never thought I wanted to be a teacher. Again, that's like, some of the like the mom hangover that I had, which was, you know, I don't want to do what my mom did, but I loved teaching and I felt so fulfilled. And it was really one of the only times that I had in my day where I could completely just drop into the present and not be so caught up in the email, the Blackberry, you know, all those things that were constantly like a barrage of stimulation coming from the outside. So teaching for me became like my happy place. And so I started teaching a lot more, even as I was working on the corporate side at YogaWorks. And ultimately, teaching really felt like my calling, especially as I started training other teachers and became a trainer for YogaWorks. And I did that for a couple of years. And it was really, you know, I've been with YogaWorks for almost 11 years now, but in a lot of different capacities. So when I was teaching for them, the pandemic hit us. And that was a big shift, I think, for yoga teachers 
across the board because, you know, it went from being this very in-person thing and people running around from studio to studio, teaching classes, teaching private clients. And all of that basically ceased to exist like in a couple of days. And so it was wild to just see the change in the industry. But I was fortunate enough to be connected to YogaWorks and connected to the executive team there that as they knew, okay, this is going to last a little bit longer than the initial three weeks that, you know, LA County (laughs) predicted it would last for. They brought me back on board on the corporate side because we knew that we had to make a change. We knew that we were going to have to pivot to be a more digital product so that we could, you know, save the company and keep teachers working and keep students practicing, which is ultimately my mission anyway. So it was definitely not easy. I think we're still kind of riding the waves of all of that right now. But to me, it's a story of hope because I, you know, YogaWorks has been around for so long. My teacher, Mati Azarati, was actually the founder of YogaWorks and she's no longer with us, but I know her mission was always to get more people practicing yoga because she believed if more people practice, the world would be a better place. And I've taken that on like, you know, full on. (laughs) So that's why I'm here. Yeah, it's the same with the meditation. Yeah, exactly. It's been proven again and again, Yeah, uh, just vibrationally. So Yeah, and to me, they're really synonymous. And this is like what I love about yoga and meditation together is, you know, so much of our lives, we live kind of disconnected from our bodies. And there's no way that you can like connect to the stillness within you unless you get more connected to your body. So it's such an organic transition, I think, going from, you know, the physical practice and then really being able to reside within yourself and experience the energy of like connection that comes from meditation. Okay. So in everything you had said before, there were two things that really stood out to me the most. One was doing what lights you up instead of like, I've studied to do this and I've always wanted to be in New York and everything. And instead you followed what lights you up. Yeah. And I just think that is so important. And there's so many people that they know what lights them up. They know what they want to do, but they're afraid to take that leap or just to stop doing the nine to five drudgery or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And what would you tell somebody like that? I would say to continue to at least take a part of your day every day to focus on the things that light you up. Because I think as we all know, and I'm a really practical person, which is kind of an interesting part of the dichotomy (laughs) that you're talking about in that, you know, I know like for some people, especially people who are more practical or more rooted in like what's happening, you know, day by day in like the logistics and the admin, (laughs) it's not realistic to just pivot and, you know, ditch your day job and do something that you consider more a passion project or like your dream overnight. So it's like, how do you carve out more time to focus on those things, even if it's not to make money or it's not like as your profession, Mm -hmm. but so that you can start to build upon those dreams, those passions, and really figure out how you might be able to incorporate them into your life more broadly. And I think that's, it's so important to have those things that light you up because sometimes I also think, you know, our society has kind of almost gotten a little bit confused in that. Sometimes your job and your passion are two different things and they don't have to be the same thing, but you definitely still have to have the passion in your life. Like you have to have that thing that lights you up because those are the moments that ultimately, I think when you look back on it all, you're going to remember. And those are the things that, you know, are going to sit in your body and your heart and your mind. And they're the things that keep you moving forward. 
Yeah, it's so true. And the other thing you said that really stood out is, and you were using the term BlackBerry, which some people, I actually, <laughs> people listening to this do remember what it is. But when you're in yoga and meditation that you don't have those. When I first started 52 Weeks of Hope, I was only interviewing a much older demographic and about what's the meaning of life? What have you gleaned from being here all these years? Like, tell me, it was my soul mm -hmm. search. And the sure. number one thing I was told is, you young people need to put down your phones and connect. And I just always remember that. And it's hard. It really is. I know that whenever I was driving my kids in the car, I would make sure I didn't have my phone because that was yep. my time because I'm a working mom and I wanted to have that yep. time. But also when I'm out and I try to always put my phone away. Yeah. Um, if I don't go out that much because of COVID, but you know, now that I'm starting to, I'm making a real concerted effort to like when I just went hiking with a friend, phone away. You know, I'm yep. not going to be on my phone anyway. Yep. I think it's so important. I mean, and I think it's very rare, especially because the expectation has become that we're all so connected, you know, superficially. We're connected through these devices. The expectation is that we respond to things right away. You know, I'm old enough that I remember a time when, you know, sometimes if you had to call somebody's land line, you would have to leave a voicemail and they maybe would call you back, but you never knew when. It was a very different time. But I also, I mean, to me, what's been so interesting to watch, especially because like I've been in the culture of, you know, being responsive and having to respond to emails within an hour. And that was very much the expectation of my professional life, but how disconnected we've all become. It's like, we're so connected that we've gone the other way and we've forgotten how to relate to each other in a really authentic and like human capacity. And we just expect to relate to each other with texts and memes and reels on Instagram. Yeah, I was told I had to make reels. So like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I'm not, I am not a big, I'm like, oh no, please no. Well, I think we've gone in the extreme, right? It's like, we're either really wanting to consume like these very short bits of content or it's like, we're in it for like a 12 episode series on Netflix and we're going to binge it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, then there's somebody I really connected with and I thought she was so cool. And then she had overcome so much. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to interview you for my podcast. And I met her in a professional capacity, you know, at a work and everything. Yeah. And I brought her and I interviewed her and she became a professional. Like everything we were talking, I was like, yep. who are you? I can't put her podcast on because nobody's going to listen to this. Like, wait, what yeah. happened to the person I've been talking to for the last couple of weeks? I was like, no, you have to be you. She's like, no, I can't let anyone know who I am authentically. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's just yeah. so weird. I mean, I think that's been a huge lesson, at least for me in my life is, you know, if you can't show up authentically and you're afraid that, you know, that's going to scare people away or it's going to, you know, make you perceived a certain way, like those other people aren't your people that yeah. they're not for you. Right? Could you imagine being like you are right now talking when you were in New York at your job? Right? No, and that face. was okay. always, yeah, okay. no. <laughs> I wish you had seen your face right now. It's like, no, I mean, no. But see, I actually am like this pretty yeah. much. I mean, I'm listening to my clients when I'm a lawyer, but you know, this is me all the time now. I've also been doing this a while, but I just don't care anymore. Like this is yeah. me in all of my settings. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, this is it. And there's a freedom in that though. Like Absolutely. there really is. So here you are, you've opened up. How did you end up like in the meditation realm? And now you're in the health and wellness, like yep. in the whole full body of nutrition yeah. and everything else. How did you end up there? It's all connected. And, you know, I think more and more I've realized how connected those things are, but really it came from me hitting rock bottom. You know, I think I really embraced 
a lot of these practices, especially with like the nutrition side, I got really burnt out when I was working in investment banking as you know, that's, that's a very typical story for people, especially who start their careers in finance. It's just a real kind of churn and burn industry. And I was working hundred hours a week and my body started to break down and I didn't have the tools yet to really, or the wisdom, or feel like I had the authority to stand up for myself and my health and my well-being. So I left the industry. And for me, it was that process of recovering from my investment banking experience that got me really interested in how everything is connected. And I realized that you know, so much of our culture is really fixated on you know, quick fixes and taking pills or you know, doing things that make you feel better temporarily but don't really solve for the underlying issues. So did you like yes. therapy? Because I have interviewed some people who had really, yeah. really bad experiences yeah. and then they, they were given medication and everything and then they yep. had to get off of that. So did that yep. happen to you too? Yes, it happened to me too. And uh, you know, at the time it was really interesting because you go and you talk to somebody that you think is really qualified to help and I'm not discounting anybody's qualifications, right. but it was kind of like, well, you know, you're showing symptoms of depression. So here's an antidepressant. And I knew just intuitively that there was more to it than that. You know, we're not walking around depressed because we have, you know, an antidepressant deficiency that that's not what this is coming from. You know, it's that can be very helpful. And again, I'm not discounting, you know, I think that modern medicine is miraculous in so many ways, but for me, I knew it was something more. And so I started to really invest in learning more about mind-body practices, yoga, meditation, you know, I took it a level deeper. And then I also got really interested in how food ultimately affects how we feel in our bodies, because it has a huge impact. And I don't know that we necessarily learn that. And so much of what we do on a daily basis is driven by kind of like our consumerist culture. And all these things are thrown in our face as being, you know, the best thing for health, or, you know, this is how you are going to achieve X, Y, and Z. And really, it comes down to getting more in touch with what you as an individual need versus what everybody wants to tell you you need. It's a process. It takes time. And it's like a willingness to explore and experiment. And I think for many of us, especially if you're you know, really overburdened and burnt out, which I think a lot of our society is, you feel like you don't have the time. Yeah, it is a lot to learn. So what were the things that you had to give up or what did you have to do? So I ultimately ended up studying a realm of kind of nutrition and medicine called functional medicine, which really looks at root causes, diet, exercise, lifestyle factors, sleep, like a lot of these things that I think have become more buzzy recently, but this was 12 years ago. So at the time there wasn't as much information out there, but ultimately I cleaned up my diet big time, you know, cutting out processed foods, cutting out a lot of the alcohol and, you know, some of the things that I would do that I thought I needed to do to have fun but really they were just making me feel worse. And I started embracing, you know, even in small doses, this idea that I needed to do things that fulfilled me on a daily basis to kind of counterbalance the things that were taking energy away. And my mom always used to tell me when I was little, and it only landed on me fairly recently, like what she was talking about, that in every situation you need to weigh, does this give me energy or does it take it away? And it's balancing, you know, making sure that you have enough stuff that you're doing for yourself every day that gives you energy so that you can counteract the things that maybe take it away or decrease it. And I really have taken that on as a life philosophy. 
Yeah, no, that's so good. So are there foods that people listening, like what's the number one worst food? Well, it's very individual, but I would say, you know, some of the most common allergens, it just so turned out that I had celiac disease. So I have like a major gluten intolerance. So that's a big one for me personally. I have a question about that. Like if you go to Europe though, I just wonder if it's as bad there. Okay. So... I have it it because I have celiac is like a diagnosable condition, but there's also gluten intolerance that a lot of people have that's made worse by like some of the farming practices in the United States. So I know plenty of people that go to Europe who are totally gluten intolerant in America and are fine in the European countries. That's what I was wondering about. Okay. So I've seen people like, you know, in the flesh who have that experience. And it's kind of shocking to me because we just... You know, here in America, so much of it is, you know, we've got like volume based farming and like all these practices where they use a lot of chemicals and fertilizers and things like that ultimately interact with people's systems, too. And that was another big thing that I learned is just, you know, most of us are dealing with a pretty heavy toxic load on a daily basis, just Mm -hmm. in the environment cleaning products, you know, things that we wash our clothes with, that all those things interact with our endocrine system, with our bodies. And we have to take that into account. So it's things like, you know, even cleaning up, you know, your cleaning cabinet, the kind of products that you're using and cleaning up the kind of food that you're eating, because all of it does have a really measurable impact on how you feel. Yeah. I know white sugar is like, I remember seeing sugar that is, years yeah, ago. Yeah. That was, yeah. Oof. I know. And they're learning more and more about it. And it's, I mean, it's so fascinating. That could be, I'm sure there's, you know, plenty of podcasts out in the, the interwebs about those types of things, but it is, you know, it's sugar, it's dairy, it's gluten. It's, you know, a lot of these things that are fairly common allergies, but if you do choose to consume them or you feel like, oh, I can't live without that understanding the consequences of like how it may make you feel and being okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So, and then I just learned about the moon cycles and our energy and how it fluctuates depending on where the moon is at. Sure. That was last month in a podcast. And I just found that fascinating. You're like, yeah, sure. But I just learned it. And I'm like, okay, how did I go all these years not knowing this, that nine to five is male construct? I mean, which that makes sense, but because we all know our female energy is a, you know, completely different. But what I was wondering with that is, okay, so now that I know that, oh, it's a full moon, I'm going to be full of energy. How do I not make that a self-fulfilling prophecy? Oh, (laughs) it's a new moon. I'm going to be a slug. Don't put anything on my calendar. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Okay. And you know, I have kind of where I'd say like, it's more of a passion of mine than anything. I don't claim to be an expert, but I do love astrology and I've been studying it for several years. And my mom's really into astrology also. And has been having my astrological chart done since I was a little kid. But all of these things, I had the same questions. Again, like as a practical person, I was like, hmm, this seems like witchery. I don't it really know. Seem like... Like that. I just, it's such an old practice. I mean, the female Ayurvedic sure. yep. part was so interesting to me. Yep. I mean, I know about Ayurveda. I know all that. I had never heard about the female Ayurveda, which... Yeah you know, is before Egypt and Greek, like it's so old and it was all fascinating. I just want to know how I don't make this a self-fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) Sure. And I think it's such an important thing. It's like anything else, right? It's like, if you go into it with a certain understanding or a knowledge base, it doesn't necessarily have to inform your mood or how you feel about it. It's just an additional piece of information. And I think sometimes what that additional piece of information helps us do is adopt a greater sense of compassion for ourselves in that moment. So it's not so much that, oh, it's a new moon, I'm going to have no energy. It's like, oh, it's a new moon. If I feel like I have lower energy, 
it's not like that something's wrong with me, something that I can work with. And I think the more that we have those pieces of information that just help us understand what's happening moment by moment, like those are the things that really help us to inform our choices. And it may be that instead of clearing your calendar, you take five minutes and take a meditation break, you know, and all of us have the ability to clear calendars. I totally get that. But it's giving yourself a little bit more space in your life, depending on what's going on around you. Yeah. And I also think we use the information like, oh, be aware when the new moon is and maybe you don't want to book up your calendar those around right. those days. It's an awareness. I've discussed this so much with my friends. <laughs> like, yeah. Awareness is key, though. I mean, ultimately, that's to me is like what all these practices are meant for. It's meant to help you build your awareness muscles so that, you know, you can become a little bit more in tune with what's going on around you and how you really feel. Like most of us, that's kind of like dark territory some days, right? Yeah, yeah, how do I really feel today? I don't really want to know. You Google feelings list and you yeah. look at this list and you go, I yeah. think it's that one. If we're You're quiet right. and close our eyes and be like, what are the choices? Yeah. <laughs> I'm <not> kidding, by the way. <laughs> no, no doubt. And I Sometimes. do need a list. <laughs> <laughs> we need a list that And it's also, I think from that list, they're also like, we need to learn like a greater sense of acceptance. You know, it's like so often we pinpoint or identify something as like, oh, it's this. And then the next thing that we do is judge it. Oh, no. Right. Like we're not able to sit with it. We're like, oh, I'm going to judge this. (laughs) And it could be a gradation of any of them, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think men have as many choices. I was told that women have like 134 feelings. Men have eight. Mm. So when you try to explain that's why they don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of funny. It's like I had the opportunity a couple of years ago. I taught a yoga teacher training in Norway, which was really fun. But what I realized because I was teaching in English and while many Norwegians do speak English, their native language is is not, it's Norsk. So they were explaining to me though, like the number of words that they have for snow, they have like infinite terms for the word snow. And because that's such a part of their life and there's all these like different gradations and qualities of snow and all these things. But then there were certain things that in English, like were very, what I thought to be simple topics. And I would try to explain it to them. And there was just like no understanding whatsoever. (laughs) And you realize though, like we all have these like in our own internal languages, like we focus on some things like, you know, there's like a million different kinds of love. There's like a million different kinds of hope, but yet in our language, we just say love or hope. Yeah. It's context-based. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, we, it's just kind of where it's at. Do you have spiritual practices that you do on a daily basis? I do. Yeah. So, and for me, a lot of it is rooted in my meditation practice, which has really been a constant for me. And a lot of that is just learning how to turn my attention inside and connect with myself. And I really believe that we're all connected in a much greater way. And, you know, whether you want to call that the universe or God or spirit or whatever it is, I think we all have our own terms. It's recognizing that like underneath all the wavering and I'll say it, the suffering, because we as humans suffer, there is like a real connection and the universe really conspires for us. And I think that's really easy to forget because things can feel hard in the moment. But I think more often than not, when I look back in hindsight, I'm really grateful for the way things turned out, even though it was really difficult in the moment. Yeah. The best lessons are always for me, have always come from my most difficult times. 
that's where my growth always is, but yeah. it sucks going through it. <laughs> well, and that's, to me, that's like the beauty of the meditation practice. It's like this little like insular world where you start to realize like, wow, today I'm really stuck on this one thought pattern or this one story that I've made up in my mind. And it just keeps on coming back and back and back and back. My meditation teacher calls it the top 10 tunes of the mind. Do you, you think Tara Brock, who is it? Jack Kornfield. Yeah, so yeah, Jack and Tara do a lot of work yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it really is, you know, coming back and being able to identify without, it's almost like diffusing the charge. It's kind of like, wow, like that's a story, but it's just a story. You know, we're really good at making up stories. We're all much more creative than we give ourselves credit for. But how do you unwind that? Like underneath all of that movement, anticipatory energy, and, you know, sometimes the fear, there really is like a stillness and an inner peace that we can tap into, even when things are hard. Yeah, definitely. How do you help people tap into their intuition? So I think it really starts with the body. It's a practice. And that is one where, you know, you start to experience the sensations of your body. And our intuition speaks to us in a very physical way. I think most people can identify that when they're having like a certain intuition about something, they feel it in their guts or feel it in their throat or feel it in their heart. And we've been taught to ignore those things and to let the mind kind of step in and reason our way into certain things, but the body knows. And so the more that you can tap into what your body is feeling, you know, it's difficult because I think sometimes you may say, especially like in the context of a professional environment, like, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And the follow-up question is, well, why not? And you're like, well, because I feel it in my gut. Like, yeah, that's yeah. not like a generally acceptable <laughs> response. I trust my gut. It is. And it's like, you know, your gut speaks to your brain, which then speaks back to your gut. We've seen in research, there's a bi-directional highway there. So it's really interesting that you experience things in your body. And sometimes you may not even know why you're feeling that way. It may seem beyond reason, but it ultimately is guiding you in a certain direction. And I think so much of me, especially over the past couple of years, has been really learning to trust that. And part of that is learning how to get still so that you can actually check in and make sure that what you're experiencing is an actual sensation or is actually indicating something versus just taking in a lot of the energy around you, which we're all dealing with a lot of that all day, every day, but getting still and being willing to sit in kind of in between zone. Gosh, that's hard. You know, I call it sitting in the doorway. It's like, you got to be willing to sit in the doorway before you decide to go in or to leave. So it's being willing to sit in that place of in between. And there's a lot of magic there. Oh, definitely. But I was taught when in doubt, do nothing. Yeah. I love that when you said the bi-directional highway, I never heard that before. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I had such a good question that came from that. I can't believe I just lost it. While I'm thinking of it, do yeah. you have a message of hope that you want to give? Yeah. I think my main message of hope is, you know, you're on the right path. And nothing ever shows up that isn't meant for you. And be willing to be patient, right? To sit in that underlying knowing that everything that is meant for you will find its way to you. And I think it's so important to remember that and to live that way because it helps you to, you know, step out of fear and to step into a space that feels more open and full of possibility. Oh, I love that. Okay. Well, I didn't remember what it was. So clearly we weren't supposed to talk about it. <laughs> Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you that you wish I had? No, I really think the only other thing that I would say is, you know, with all of these 
tools that we've been given, whether it's, you know, a movement practice or meditation or nutrition or all these things that I think are being thrown in our face on a regular basis. Like you have to do all these wellness practices. It's like, it's only going to work for you if it's something that you want to do. So it's starting small. It's being willing to take a couple minutes out of your day, maybe in the beginning, and just noticing how certain things resonate with you, how they make you feel. Because it's not that you have to eat perfectly and move a certain amount every day and meditate for an hour. And like, it's just not realistic in our human existence. And we put too much pressure on ourselves anyway. But these practices are for you. So, you know, make it work for you. And then you'll be more likely to adopt it into your regular life. Oh, yeah, definitely. It has to resonate. And definitely, yeah, don't start in an hour, three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. Just do an energy clearing. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Oh, I'm so glad. Perfect. (laughs) How do you keep somebody else's bad energy off? I know Mm. the white light. Do you just create a bubble around you? What do you do? Because So I like to use rose gold armor. (laughs) Okay, go ahead and explain that. So this is actually a technique that was given to me by a medium several years ago. And I loved it just because I'm a girly girl. I admit it. I love pink, rose gold, jewelry, all those things. Love it. So for me, it was really about, she said, you know, you put on your armor every day and the armor isn't meant to make you inaccessible or like not a person. It's just meant to create a little bit of a barrier so that you don't have to take on the things that aren't yours. So, you know, she invited me to pick a color and a material that felt like highlighted me and like my inner me the best. Uh So I chose rose gold. And so I put on my rose gold armor and I'm really introverted. So like, especially when I go into big social situations, like pre-pandemic, this has been great for me during this time. But, (laughs) you know, I always put on my armor and I remember, you know, you don't have to take on what everybody is giving to you on a regular basis. And that can be really hard, especially when it's reactive or it feels like there are strong emotions Mm -hmm. associated with it, but it's not yours. Like you carry enough stuff every day anyway. You don't need to carry that too. Yeah, I have a friend that's gonna love that. She's been taking on somebody else that's been coming at her so strong. It's not yours, it's hers, I promise. So she'll love that. I love the white light, the white light and the bubble, the protection of that, just kind of that bubble. Because everybody has a message to give. And yeah, so I love hearing what other people do. I've never heard yours, like pick the color. I love that. Pick the color. I mean, I know people that use roses, like, you know, surround yourself with roses, pick a color, pick a scent, like whatever it is that lets you like, really sit, like reside within yourself and just say, Hey, I'm not going to take this on today. Yeah. Uh, that's fabulous. I love yeah. that. <laughs> hey, thank you for being a guest today. I'm 52 weeks of hope. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Maya's messages of connection, passion, and staying in the light. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to tune in next week for another amazing, uplifting episode all about overcoming challenges and how to take that next step for you. It's a really empowering episode and one that definitely helps you hit your goals and achieve your greatness. I'd love to hear what you liked on this episode. Just DM or tag me on social media or go to the website at 52weeksofhope.com and send me a message. I really would love to connect with you. And I also would love to know how you found this podcast. If you're driving or anything like that, you can text HOPE52HOPE to 66866. You can text 
52, the number 52, hope to 66866. And we can connect that way as well. So just go ahead and tag me. We can connect that way because I really would love to talk to you. So I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, share the love and tell two of your friends. 